Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of the Do It The Thing podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. As always, we're joined by Phil. Uh, but today, we also have uh, Dr. Jennifer Wisdom on the show. Uh, Dr. Wisdom has worked in complex healthcare, government, and educational environments for 25 years, including uh, serving in the U.S. military. Uh, she's done nonprofit service delivery programs in higher education. She has a PhD in clinical psychology from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and a master's of public health and epidemiology. That was a tough one. And biostatistics from Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. In addition to Leading Wisdom Consulting, which is her company, she is affiliated uh, faculty at the Portland State University of Oregon Health and Science University School of Public Health and the Institute for Implementation Science and Population Health at the City University of New York. That is a really impressive bio. <laughs> really? That is the most credentialed bio of any guest we've ever had on the show. And we've had some good ones. We had Gary Geller, the Mount Everest summoner. Um, but listen, I think you might have topped him. Yeah, well, thank yeah. you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yes, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much. So, so you're also an accomplished author. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the uh, the books you published recently? Absolutely. So uh, I got started with Millennials Guide series. So I mm -hmm. talked with a lot of millennials as a professor and also just as a person out in the world and as a consultant. And what I found is that there were a whole bunch of books for older people, which is still hard for me to say, Gen Xers, baby boomers like us, on how we should deal with millennials, but not much about how millennials can be successful in the workplace and deal with us and our outdated ideas. So I wrote Millennials Guide to Work and then Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership. And folks started coming up to me and saying, you know what you should write, Millennials Guide to whatever. And at first I would just laugh. And then I said, okay, let's do it. So now we have a whole series. We have eight books. Uh, Millennials Guide for Working Parents. We have Millennials Guide to the Construction Trades, and there's more coming. And so I'm so excited uh, about all this Millennials Guide to Diversity and Inclusion. We just launched a Millennials Workbook. So all of that is great. And then I, I got back to my true love, which is about leaving. I am a leaver. I've left, <laughs> left home, left jobs, uh, left home for the army, left the army to go to school, left school again, like just left everything in my life. Um, and I was struggling with this a few years back and was looking for a book to help me understand this process of leaving, not just, you know, how do I get a job? I know how to do that, but kind of why, why do people leave? Why do people stay? Yeah. And the time is now right uh, with the great resignation and with people uh, doing a lot of leaving and a lot of thinking about what they should do after, as the pandemic is hopefully waning. Uh, and I published Leaving Revolution, how we're learning to let go and move on and really talk to this concept of leaving. I interviewed more than a hundred people about leaving and staying and just, um, just really love talking about this issue around how do you know when it's time to stay, time to go? What if you're uncomfortable? How do, how do you manage that process? I love talking about that too. You know, I want to chime in and say this. Um, for the many terrible things that the, the COVID situation brought upon us, one of the beautiful things was people stepping back, understanding how tenuous their situation may be or on how, how unhappy they were. 
Um, I work with clients who literally told me I would drive into the city of New York every day. I wouldn't see family and friends. I'd see my kids on the weekends when I had the energy to do so. And then the pandemic hit and I was forced to work remotely. And guess what? I got to talk to my friends and I take walks on the beach with my mom. And I came to realize that I don't want that life anymore, that other life. And she literally, uh, when the company said, listen, we're going to bring you back three days a week, she said, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people are doing that now. And I think it's amazing. And there's so much um, information in the media about millennials don't want to go back to work or they're lazy or whatever. And first of all, it's not just millennials. It's lots of different people that don't want to work under the same conditions. And part of what I do when I talk with organizations and companies that are saying, I don't know why people aren't staying, is saying, well, let's look at why they're leaving. Let's look at what's mm -hmm. happening because usually people aren't just leaving for no reason. <laughs> they're, and they're definitely right. not leaving because they're lazy generally or because they don't want to work. They're leaving because the, the, the balance isn't right for them, just like your friend, Philip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, 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 go ahead. And I, and I was going to say there, um, you know, speaking as a millennial, I think I'm an elder millennial, you know, I'm almost 40. Right. But, um, you know, speaking as an elder millennial, I think, um, you know, you're absolutely right. The balance isn't there uh, with a lot of organizations and, and it's a big leadership challenge. Um, like, most of my peers that are still in corporate America and, and are in professional environments, if if they see that the organization isn't going away in in a way that's in alignment with their values, they're most likely going to leave pretty quickly. You know, the money's good, the money's there, and it's not being about lazy either. Like you said, it's about you know a little bit more. We want to have something. We want our, our roles to make something matter in the world. You know, we right. don't necessarily just want to make a buck and build a retirement. And, and I, I don't think that speaks for all millennials, but I think for a great majority that are out there in professional uh, professional work, they do kind of think that way. Absolutely. I do a lot of speaking with organizations about millennials and about how they can work with millennials and Gen Z when we're most of the leadership is still uh, Gen X and baby boomers. And this is one of the things I talk about. Unlike Gen X and baby boomers, millennials really care about the impact they're having on the world. This is the first generation to really say, you know what, I don't like the investments my company is making. I don't support their mission. I'm out. And there was a little bit of it before with Gen X, but millennials are really taking this forward. And companies, I think some of them have been a little slow to realize that this is not only something that can help make them a better company, but this is something that can really help them with retention of their employees. And instead of complaining that, why are these millennials, why do they care about this or what's their problem? Instead, that's not a good approach for a company. It's a really much better approach to say, how can we work with them? This is the future of our company. How can we use this desire to make a positive social difference to make us a better company as well? So <clears throat> let me set up this question a little bit because I would love to dive into your best one, two, three recommendations for companies um, as they see millennials step into leadership roles. And what is it now? 50% of all companies are have millennial leaders, right? Um, so full disclosure, I'm almost 60 years old, which I can't believe I'm saying out loud. Um, and I grew up in a time when the CEO 
was kind of the, the demigod of the company and they were expected to have all the answers and everything came from the top down. And over time, that model proved itself to be ineffective. Um, and what we're transitioning from is part of that world, to your point about baby boomers and leadership roles, right, retiring. And I think um, the numbers are staggering how many um, executives in, in the baby boomer category are, you know, resigning and retiring and how people are moving up. Um, but in this whole shift has come an appreciation for different management methodologies um, and what millennials appreciate. So all that being said, what is your best advice to companies of how to create that right environment and keep retention numbers where they want to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two things I think are most important. One is give employees feedback, not just a once a year performance review kind of thing. Young people, especially millennials and Gen Z, they want feedback. I talked to a colleague of mine who's been a friend. She had a, got a new job and her name's Mary. She got a new job and she called me and said, Jen, I can't believe this. I've been at this job for four weeks and I have yet to have a sit down with my boss. I don't think they even want me here. I don't understand. I don't know how I'm doing. And, and Mary was just distraught. She was just upset that she felt like the company didn't care about her because she didn't have a sit down with her boss. And it doesn't have to be a big formal thing, but... Millennials want feedback. And again, this is a place where Gen Xers and baby boomers will say, I never got feedback. Nobody helped me. Well, you can complain and call them needy, or you can work toward what's best for your company and what's best for your employees and their retention by giving them actual feedback. They want to do good things. Help them do good things by giving them feedback. So feedback's the first one. The second one is they want to be heard. Mm. They want to feel like they are contributing something so let them like help them contribute. So um, I think, as you mentioned, Philip, this idea of the, the the past model of the CEO as the authority, they know everything, what they say goes, nobody knows everything. And I think as the world is changing, that model for a CEO is changing. When I work with a team, I put out my information to the team and ask everybody for feedback. And yeah, sometimes they give me feedback where I thought, dang it, I should have seen that. Or, or, and yes, I can be, it's a little vulnerable to do that. At the same time, every time I've done that, the product gets better every single time because there's something I didn't see. No one person can see everything. So providing those opportunities for the young people in the organization to feel heard and then giving them feedback on their performance. Those are the two top things that are going to make young people, all people feel like they belong, that they're part of the organization and that they're valued. That's important. hundred percent. You know, and I worked with a CEO uh, when I was a senior VP who literally would call a formal session and it would sound like this. Okay. Today we're going to be talking about your contribution and I'd like to, and that's not what you're advocating. Instead, it's kind of that just stop in and say, Hey, how's you doing? How you doing? How's your weekend? Listen, I appreciate the work that you did on this project. I noticed X, Y, Z. Thank you so much. And by the way, yes. what are your thoughts? Right? Absolutely. That I appreciate. Oh, that makes me so happy. I appreciate <laughs> you. I mean, everyone feels good when we, when someone says that to us, Let's say it to them. And again, delete the negative thinking about they're needy or no, they're not needy. They're human. 
we're human. We would have done better if people had said that to us. So let's go ahead and say that. And exactly like you said, Philip, I appreciate you. What do you think about this? How can we how can we make this better? It's it seems so easy. How how are how are we missing the mark there? <laughs> well, there's so there's a lot of different reasons where um, the the generations view things differently. So baby boomers grew up in a or in a in a world where there was an expectation that people who are older have are are given respect that you didn't question your elders, you know, some of those kinds of ideas are part of how they grew up. So now as baby boomers are growing up and getting older, they expect deference. Meanwhile, millennials are saying, what have you done for me lately? I don't know who you are. Like what, (laughs) just because you're older doesn't mean you know stuff. And in many cases, they feel like people who are older know less. So this is considered offensive by a lot of baby boomers who don't want to go about and and kind of reprove themselves. They don't feel like they should have to. In the meantime, we also have the media saying millennials have ruined everything from toast to finances to jeans. <laughs> Somebody complaining that it's like millennials woke culture that caused the Ukraine situation. Oh, like, geez, come on. Come on. <laughs> like, no. In the sense of like, you know, for back to ancient times, people have said that, you know, the young people are ruining the world. So there's there's all of this yeah. kind of natural tension that's going to happen between the generations. So there's that. Then when you add the media stirring up the storm and the complete and utter changes in technology that have made the entire workplace for many, many types of jobs so different. I mean, Philip, you, I'm sure you remember when PCs just mm-hmm. came out. I mean, like that was a big deal for people to have one PC. Now we have more than a PC on our phone. It, like it's just, and kids are growing up this way. So that makes it easy for the older folks to say, you're so entitled. Like I didn't have a cell phone when I was a kid. We didn't even have a telephone. <laughs> I mean, we had that long cord that we could stretch into another room, but that was modern technology. So anyway, there's a lot of things going on that help foment this tension and the the disagreements and the ways that we're different. And a lot of what I try to do is to say, look, we're actually all the same. We all have valuable contributions. We don't have the same experience. We don't have the same expertise, but we all are valuable. We all have something to contribute and we all want to do something good in the world. So let's work together instead of having the negative talk about generations big you know know, i'm just going to say this it can sound to a person especially a baby boomer like we're just talking kumbaya like okay let's hold hands and let's sing kumbaya together by the fireplace and let's all get along that's not what we're talking about in fact um as a leader in the organizations i was with i recognized early on that my staff was the closest to the situations much closer than i was and if I didn't invest time into understanding them and their ideas and, you know, the, the best ideas I ever had came from my team. Right. So right. when we're talking about, you know, collaborate and sit down and have some conversations and get feedback, we're also doing something really valuable for the organization. And that's getting to its root and tapping its talent, because no one person has all the answers except for maybe Steve Jobs um, when he was alive. You know, he had some good ones. But when you can empower a group together to group think together and function and collaborate, that's where the power comes from. 
Absolutely. I agree with you. And I've also talked to baby boomers who say, well, kumbaya, whatever. That's a way of putting it down. That's a way of saying that's not a good approach. I want to stick with my approach because I maintain my seniority, my power, my whatever. And I don't want to open, you know, expand the pie, let more people in. I'm mixing metaphors here, but you get the idea of letting people in. Calling it just kumbaya or being friendly or woke or whatever. It's just a different way of putting it down and saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to do things differently. Yeah. Well, with that tension comes some ego as well. Right. <laughs> and, and I can, I can certainly, I can tell you guys a little story. Um, when I first got into business about four and a half, five years ago, in, in one of my first chamber of commerce meetings, um, the, the facilitator actually went on a rant in a tangent on, on how lazy millennials are and, and how worthless they are and, and things like that. It's like, I just want to point out, and I actually stood up in the meeting that I just want to point out that I just got done serving in the army for 15 years. It was a leader of you know hundreds of troops. And I'm also a millennial. Am I worthless right now? Because I could probably leave. <laughs> <laughs> I could find a new chamber pretty easily. And, 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 and they were so apologetic and was like, Hey, let's start over, you know, let's start over with this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reasonable. I'm not going to like completely derail this meeting, but please don't do that. You know, that's, that's not going to get anywhere, anybody anywhere. (laughs) Let's, let's kind of work together through this. Absolutely. And, and understanding these different perspectives and understanding the different experiences is so important. So when baby boomers were growing up, college was what, $4,000 a year, maybe. You could live at home and go to college. And with a bachelor's, if you got a bachelor's degree, that was basically a ticket to being a one earner family where you could buy a home and you could go on a vacation. For many, for many people, that was kind of the standard. Young people now are paying there's $60,000 in debt for college. A bachelor's degree kind of guarantees you can at least get a job as a barista, but definitely doesn't guarantee you can get a job that'll support your family. And then you have the student loan bills. And then you go to work and you have these other people telling you you're entitled while you're working a side hustle to pay off your bills. Like, come on. <laughs> your, your, your college mortgage, basically. Right. right. And then they complain you're still living with your parents. I've got a $600 student loan. We're supposed to buy out. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And a master's degree, you know, you know, I've seen people um, offer jobs for, for folks and, and requesting folks to apply that have master's degree, but only offering like 60,000 a year or something like that. It, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, all that education, very, very little return in some cases. Absolutely. And the, the millennials and Gen Z, they're the most educated group. We've ever, most educated generation we've ever had, the most globally conscious, the most technologically savvy group. It's amazing to me that companies and media keep bagging on them because these are, this is our future and they're amazing. I have such a soft spot for millennials. Like, you know, I'm excited about it. I I love I love how deeply you respect millennials, and I couldn't agree with you more. And what I find interesting about your work is I almost want to call it a two pieces of bread for a sandwich because on the one end of the equation, you're saying, hey, companies, this is how you can work with this new group that's gonna be our future leaders, right? But on the other side of that sandwich, you're saying, but if the companies don't do these things, here's how you elegantly can leave and here's how to come to clarity about when it's the right time. And I'd love to explore that a little bit. 
um, the leaving side of the equation. Um, and so I forget the, the, the folks that did the study, but I'm sure you're familiar with learned helplessness. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah and as a principal, um, sometimes we get trapped in situations and we can't see our way out of them because we just assume that this is always what it should be and what it will be, and we just accept that. Um, and so if you could about when a person can come to that realization that perhaps learn helplessness is keeping them locked in a place they shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I refer in, in my book, Leaving Revolution, to pathological staying, which a lot of stayers don't like, um, because it's it's this way where you're staying in a situation that is not working, but for various reasons, not judging the validity of those reasons, but for various reasons, you're choosing to stay. And many people get very afraid about leaving with good reason. It's a scary process. And certainly if you have kids and a mortgage and you know all kinds of other things, it's harder to leave a job. Uh, I talk about awareness as the first step, just this possibility that things could be different. Either if I had a different role at this organization, if I got a promotion, if I worked in a different job, if I worked in a different field, if I moved to another city, whatever that is, that awareness and how usually for just about all of us, we immediately try to squish that down. Like maybe, and then no, I can't do that. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. And we squish it down. And I talk about that process of kind of helping that awareness grow, like understand what are the fears that are coming up around that awareness. And then being able to, to be honest with yourself about examining the evidence of those fears. So I could never leave this company because I've been here 15 years. Those things don't really relate to each other. Like you can leave at any time or, you know, it's not that bad. Okay. Well, how bad does it need to be for you to leave? Yeah. Well, see, the answer is it doesn't have to be bad at all. You can just decide to leave. You don't have to have a reason to say, I'm being abused or I'm underpaid or whatever. You can just say, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's like, I'm my unhappy. I want to leave. Right. <laughs> right. And so kind of helping people through that awareness is the first step. And then once they realize that there's some options out there, then we get to the confidence and the learn helplessness. Yeah. And some of the strategies that I recommend are looking at all of the things you've done in your past that have been your, that, that you've been successful at. And even if you don't feel it, it doesn't mean it's not true. So you graduated high school, maybe you graduated college, maybe you were in the military, you've got this job, you still have this job. Those are things you've done that you've been successful at. And then I also, another suggestion is to take a look at other people who have done what you're looking to do. And I have a, a colleague that I work with who um, left her job after 20 years, just turned 50 and said, I'm out. And she, she said that now everybody at that company has been calling her for coffee saying, how did you do it? <laughs> what was this like? So she's now, now she's a coach. <laughs> yeah. A de facto coach on leaving, but find people who've done it. And in, in my book and in, in, in the research that I've done, I've talked to more than a hundred people who have left or stayed. No one said they regretted leaving. Everyone said the one thing they regret is not leaving sooner. Sure. sooner. Yes. Yes. And I definitely have had that experience too, both not leaving a relationship sooner, not leaving a job sooner. 
And having left several jobs, I can say if you wait until you're really pissed off, that's not a good time to leave. Like leave before that point. Yes. <laughs> when you know it's when you you have that awareness that there can be something better, and then kind of move, push yourself to go to the next step before you get really angry and ticked off at everybody. You know, it seems to me one of the issues is that people by nature tend to live in the past and live in the future, but not live in the moment. So Mm -hmm. they're unhappy, but they're saying to themselves, well, you know, this is the mistakes I made in the past. So can I trust myself? And if I do this, then I'm putting everything at risk and all these dangers. What they don't maybe step aside and say is, what am I feeling now? Is this right for me? Is it serving me? Am I getting to the place I want to be at in this moment? Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's so many fears associated with leaving. I'll be all alone. I won't be able to afford anything. I'll be hungry. Everyone's going to blame me. If everything's not perfect, they're going to say, you were the one who tried to fly too close to the sun. You left a good job. How many times have I heard that? You know, why would, why would you do that? And I think, how much time do you have? <laughs> like, it's my life. It's my life. Here. Right. That's a great point. You know, how much time do you actually have on this earth to do it right? You know, and, and you, you know, even if you do make a mistake, you know, you're going to learn from it. It's a calculated mistake and, right. and you're educating yourself along the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that message. But I say the confidence point when you know you're ready to go is when you know that even if it doesn't work out the way you want, it will have been worth it. It will have been worth it to take that chance to make that leap, to try something new. And that you're right, Jason, even if it doesn't work out, you get experience. That's what you get when you don't get what you want. <laughs> it's, still, it's, it's a consolation prize, but it's still a prize nonetheless. It's worth it. It's worth it that to was, do something different. That was brilliant. And you said it right when I was taking a sip of coffee. Oh, and <laughs> We'll that keep that in. That, we don't even need outtakes on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the fact, too, that um, we, we said you have to kind of trust yourself to be able to do something like that, too. And, and, and you know, Phil and I are both the uh, career ownership coaches, as you recall from, from uh, me being on your show. And that's one thing that we tell people when they're, when they're looking at new options and new opportunities for themselves. Like you've got to trust yourself before you move on to a new opportunity. First and foremost, you might not be happy where you're at right now, but you got to do some of that internal soul searching to make sure that you're going to be able to carry the weight of this new role as well. Right. Absolutely. And and I'm not saying, you know, like if you're working as a barista, then just quit your job and get into being a fashion model. Uh, you know, let's make a plan. Like think, <laughs> be careful and, and prepare. And, and I have a whole, yes. a whole lot that I talk about in the book about how to how to make that decision, which is often multiple decisions and how to prepare and how to get ready and how to make sure that all of the contingencies in your life are managed to the extent you can. And by contingencies, I mean your money situation, your financial situation, your family obligations, other obligations. Um, I've certainly delayed leaving because I wanted to train up my successor. I've, I've delayed mm-hmm. leaving because there was a big project and I didn't want to leave them in the lurch. Or I've delayed leaving because I wanted to save more money before I took off. Like there's all kinds of reasons to think through it. And that's what I recommend is not just saying, that's it, take this job and shove it, but more, how do you thoughtfully and intentionally 
consider what you want to do next and how you want to leave and what kind of person you want. It's all about what kind of person you want to be anyway. At the end of the day. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. giving yourself that, that uh, permission to go do the education and discovery along right. the way. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're coming up on 30 minutes, folks. That went so it went really fast. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> really good value of this episode. I thank you so much, Jennifer, for, for joining us today. We really appreciate this. Um, we're going to put all your information on, on the show notes. Um, those that are listening, please give us some feedback. If you like this, please share it. Let us know how we did, how we could do better too. Also, we like that kind of criticism sometimes. Uh, but anyway, thank you again. And we hope to have you on uh, again real soon. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you guys. Such an honor to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right, everybody.